Um, yeah, let's just go with this one because I want to avoid all whatever. Um, welcome everyone to our midweek in town. Right. Amen. Yeah. And uh, it's 8.46, which meant we started on time, which is awesome. You guys are awesome. Amen. <laughs> amen. And the baby said, amen. Um, tonight, uh, Rob and I are actually going to be sharing together. We're going to be co-leading the class. I'm going to start off, and Rob's going to uh, talk for a while, and I'm going to uh, finish up. And um, tonight, we want to talk about spiritual gifts, and specifically what we want to talk about is we want to talk about how God gives us gifts and um, what we want to do throughout our walk as we mature and grow is we want to take the gifts that we have. And, some, and in some areas we're, you know, one talent, some areas we're five talent, and some areas, you know, somewhere in between. But we want to develop and mature those gifts that we have so that as we grow and mature in our Christian walk, we can uh, help the kingdom and we can build the kingdom and we can encourage others. And most of all, we can glorify God. And, you know, it's part of God's and Jesus's vision um, that, you know, they, they've given us these gifts and they really want us to use these gifts because they know that when we do use these gifts, it will glorify them and it will build up the kingdom, but it will bring us personally tremendous joy and um, sense of victory and uh, you know, the honor of participating in, in building something great for God. Um, I'm just gonna read from Matthew 25. We all know this story about the talents. The, the master goes away and he gives uh, different uh, numbers of talents to different people. And then it says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And I think sometimes we forget about that very last line. Come and share in your master's happiness. And the thing is that I've always read this and said, oh, you know, this is at the end of my life, I will get a reward. But really, I mean, now that I look at it and think about it and think back through my 30 plus years of, of you know, being a disciple, um, I see that really, um, as I put my talents to work, I gain talents and God puts me in charge of more things. Maybe not greater things, you know, I'm not running anything here, but you know, I'm doing a lot more than I did when I was, you know, first a disciple. Uh, and, you know, I have just developed a lot more tools in my toolkit, honestly, you know, that I can, I can help with. Um, when I first became a Christian, to be honest with you, I didn't know anything about the Bible except what I studied enough to basically, you know, come to a conviction that I was lost and I needed to 
get baptized and be saved. Other than that, I didn't really know too much. And so my, you know, <laughs> my gift was the gift of coming to, to church 45 minutes early and setting up, setting up chairs. And then my other gift, which was really awesome, was the gift of staying late and putting the chairs back. So I just excelled in that. And, um, you know, as time went on, I was able to add, you know, as I learned things about the Bible, I was able to encourage people, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, amen, that's the way it's supposed to be. And I know it's just setting up chairs and putting chairs down, but when you're doing that, you're talking to other disciples, you're joking around, you're getting to know people, you're building friendships, you're building relationships, you're, you know, whatever. And it does bring you joy. Now, you know, is it like, oh, I love setting up chairs. Well, you know, there's other things I'd rather do, but I mean, honestly, it did give me joy. It did give me a, a you know, happiness. And as, as we develop our gifts, the joys become deeper and more meaningful, I really believe. And, and God really, that's his vision, is that you're gonna take the gifts that I've given you and you're gonna develop them and develop them and develop them and you're gonna become a happier and more joyful a more mature and more complete um, person. And you know, you're gonna, you're gonna really uh, benefit the kingdom. And tonight what, um, what we wanna talk about is we wanna talk about one person we want to take one person through the book of Acts and we want to kind of look at this person's life and look at the arc of his life throughout the book of Acts and we want to see the different things that this brother was able to do in the kingdom and as he matured and grew throughout the, the Bible, you know, you can see like, wow, this guy started off here and he ended up having a tremendous impact on world history, really. And it starts in Acts chapter four. And um, I always think there's gonna be pages flipping, but I forget you guys are all digital. And I'll be there in a minute. Okay. So um, in verse 36, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And before, um, before Rob comes up here and, and just continues to talk about this great brother Barnabas, I just wanna point out two things about Barnabas. One is that his name was Joseph and they changed his name. And it's really interesting because when you read the Bible and you see all the times where people had a name and then they were given another name, there's something really significant going on. I mean, think about how Jesus, you know, said, okay, you're, you're, uh, you're Simon, but I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you Rock, you know? And Simon did not see himself as a stable guy. Simon was like, go away from me, Lord. Uh, you know, I'm a sinner. Just, I don't deserve to be, I'm, no, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. And then he says, I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. And, and Simon becomes this, this great heroic man of God in the Bible. And, um, but that's the vision that God and the vision that Jesus 
has for us. I mean, they, they give us a name and then they give us another name. You know, they give us a greater name, a, a name with more vision and more like, no, you could really become someone who can make a powerful impact, you know? And that's, and, and his friends renamed him Barnabas because he was such a man of encouragement. And the second thing I want to say about Barnabas is, I mean, it's great. He had a field and he sold the field and he put the money at the apostles' feet. But you know, at the end of the day, his story could have ended there. Like 30 years you know, later, he could be like, yeah, I'm the guy, I don't know if you remember, I had this field, I sold it, and I took the money and I put it at the apostles' feet. I have an engraving picture made. I, yeah, it's, that's, that's me and that's the, you know, no. He, he ended up, and we'll see, you know, Rob is gonna come up and talk about some of the different things he did throughout his life, but, you know, once you, I'm kind of thinking, once you sell that money, you're kind of shot, that's it. I mean, it's not like you have a whole bunch of other land holdings you can sell and continually give to the church. I think it was pretty much like, yeah, I'm busted, you know? But that was not the end of his story. It was something he could do when he was a very, very, very young Christian, as everybody in those days was, he, it was something, he, something simple and something straightforward he could do, but he ended up doing a lot more as he went on through his Christian walk, and I'll hand it over to Rob. Okay. So, hi, everyone. Um, so, as Steve was mentioning, what I'm going to be talking about is sort of how Barnabas's story changes throughout the, uh, the book of Acts. And Barnabas is this great character, if you've never studied out Acts, because like Steve says, he goes through this whole story arc where he becomes all kinds of different things to all kinds of different people. You know, as Steve mentioned, he started out essentially as just a wealthy guy who gives to the church. But then at another point, he's given the gift of prophecy. And then after that, he's given the ability to teach. And then after that, he becomes Paul's partner in the gospel. And, you know, ultimately dies essentially broke, like Steve was saying. But God, throughout Barnabas's life, puts him in all these different situations, in all these different places, each requiring him to rely on a different strength or maybe even develop a strength that he doesn't have. But what I want to touch on is um, what I think is probably Barnabas's greatest strength is actually not what he personally could do, but his ability to recognize other people's gifts and other people's strengths, and specifically Paul. Um, and I think that's important because as we've been focusing as a ministry on spiritual gifts and what our strengths are, I think it's also important to remember that each and every one of us has to encourage the people that we have around us to use their gifts as well. And sometimes that requires even seeing gifts that they can't see themselves and encouraging them to use that to help grow God's kingdom. So Barnabas' story gives two great examples. And the first one I want to share starts shortly after the time that uh, Saul is converted and becomes Paul. So I'll start off by confessing this is not a Bible. I grabbed the wrong book off of my desk. So... So I'm going to ask other people to stand up and read these for me. Yeah. 
So if someone can stand up and read uh, Acts 9, 19 through 30, just really, really loud so we can hear you. So this is shortly after the time of Saul's conversion. We're going to pick up there. Yep, Shannon. You don't have to raise your hand. Just go for it. Yeah. 19 through 30. Thank you. So the first aspect of Barnabas' story that I want to talk about actually doesn't start with Barnabas. It starts right here with Saul and his conversion. So after Saul's conversion, as it says, you know, he starts preaching in Damascus. That's the first thing he does. Now the verse says, after many days had gone by, that eventually he goes to, he leaves Damascus and goes to Jerusalem. But if you look in Galatians 1, it's actually three years. So for three years after his conversion, Paul is preaching in Damascus until it's finally time for him to go to Jerusalem. And when he finally goes to Jerusalem, the church leaders there are rightly skeptical of him because they remember that this guy was Saul. They don't see Paul, the, you know, the disciple of Jesus. They see Saul, the Pharisee, who was persecuting the church, who participated in the stoning of Stephen. You know, so they see this guy and they're completely skeptical of all, of all this. So, what happens is that Barnabas, as we see, ultimately brings Paul to the apostles and he tells them about their conversion. And he tells them about how, how uh, Paul has been preaching uh, in Damascus for all these years. And that, you know, formerly Saul is persecuting the church, but now this brother, Paul, has this gift of teaching and we need to let him preach. And so because of Barnabas, Paul is able to stay with the church in Jerusalem and go out and preach to the Jews. So until he, you know, has to flee again to Tarsus because people keep trying to kill him. So what is the lesson for us? I think the lesson for us is one of Barnabas's greatest gift wasn't just his gift of encouragement. It's that Barnabas had the ability to see Paul when everyone else saw Saul. You know, everyone else looked at Saul and all they could think is, this guy's not one of us. This guy's the guy who persecuted us. This guy has no business being here. Barnabas was able to see this strength that Paul had, the, the honest faith from his conversion and also his ability to preach and teach. And so he encourages Paul to continue to do that and ultimately brings him to the apostles. So for us, when I look at this ministry, what I think and how we can apply this is I look out tonight and our ministry here looks completely different than it did even six months ago, right? And certainly two, from two years ago when I first moved in and certainly, you know, six or seven or however many years ago you guys started, I don't know, Matt will know, but it looks totally, totally different and it's gonna continue to change. You know, we have people moving in, we have people being baptized, we have, I think it's like 12, Tosin's not here, we have like 12 people coming in in the next couple of months so our ministry is going to continue to change. And as it changes and as more people come in, we need to have a focus on bringing people into this ministry and helping them to continue to use whatever gifts God has given them to help build this ministry. Now this is, I think, just being honest, this is, I think, something that we have historically not been great at as a group. Or I'll at least speak for myself and say that I know that this is not a strength of mine, welcoming people into the ministry, bringing them excuse me, bringing them in, making sure that I know everyone when they move in and making sure that I have conversations about, you know, what is it that you want to do in the ministry? I'm mostly just like, hey, you're here. Great. That's fine. We have got to become better at truly bringing people into our family groups and into our house churches and into our ministry as a whole and looking for what their strengths are and their gifts are and encouraging them to use those gifts for the ministry. 
And you know, like the apostles in Jerusalem, I think we can all sometimes be skeptical about who belongs in what role. You know that I'm not sure this brother has this strength or I'm not sure this sister is going to be great in this role. But we need to have people who can look beyond all that and say, no, this is their strength. I'm going to encourage them to use it even when they don't see it for themselves. Amen? Okay, so then turning to this next part, let's read Acts 11, 19 through 26. And this is when Barnabas's role changes a little bit. So Acts 11, 19 through 26, whoever can read that. Okay, so now we have this next chapter in Barnabas' story, and this takes place in Antioch. So after the church in Jerusalem is, is persecuted, the disciples begin preaching in Antioch. In Antioch, I don't know, you know, what you know about Antioch. I know a lot because I Googled it this morning, so I'm kind of an expert. Antioch is like the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. So it's not just the middle of nowhere. This is like a huge metropolitan area. It's got a very young ministry that previously hadn't had a lot of leadership. Are you guys picking, is this on? This works, right? You guys picking up on the parallels? Okay, so, so in keeping with, you know, the church in Jerusalem has this practice that when these new, new young ministries pop up, we need to send experienced leaders to help encourage them and help it to grow. So they send the encourager, they send Barnabas. And what does Barnabas do? Well, he does two things. First thing he does is he uses his gift which is he goes and he encourages the disciples there. But then the second thing that he does is he actually leaves Antioch, goes to Tarsus, where Paul's been cool in his heels essentially, and once again encourages him, you've got to come to Antioch, you've got to use your gifts, you've got to use your ability to preach and teach, and you're coming with me. And drags Paul, although I doubt he dragged him, but you know, drags Paul to Antioch. So, um, why does Barnabas do this? Well, I can think of a couple of reasons. One is that it says that they were mostly teaching the disciples there. You know, maybe Barnabas realizes, like, I'm not that great a teacher. You know, he's like, hey, I am, I am son of encouragement. I am not son of teaching. That's a different guy. I'm going to go get him. Or maybe it was simply that he saw this gift that Paul had. And Paul, who's going through this time where he's having to flee Jerusalem because, once again, he's about to be killed— he wants to encourage him to continue to do what God gave him an, an amazing ability to do, which is to preach the word and to convert people and to, to, help, um, to help them to grow. So again, I think the obvious parallel for us is that we need to recognize what our gifts are and use those to build the ministry, but then taking it a step beyond that to see what other people's gifts are, encouraging them to, uh, to use their gifts to help build the ministry as well. Now, I want to look at how Paul describes this time, because we're sort of getting all this from the perspective of Barnabas. But how does Paul think about this time in Antioch? Um, someone read Galatians 2, verses 8 through 14. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Yeah, uh, yeah Galatians 2, 8 through 14. Okay, thank you. So how is Paul kind of describing this same period of time? Paul is being brought into this, or excuse me, no, yeah, Paul, getting confused. Paul is being brought into this new role, preaching to the people in Antioch. So how does he step into this, you know, new role that he's in? Does he do it timidly? Is he insecure about, you know, taking on a leadership position? Is he not sure, you know, well, I don't want to like, I don't want to rub people the wrong way. I don't want to step on toes. No, man, he goes in fearlessly 
And then eventually even challenges the leaders when he sees that they're not acting in accordance with, with God's plan, that they're favoring the Jews. Even Barnabas, who's the guy who encouraged him to come to, you know, he's like, Barnabas is like, you know, the guy who came before me, who made it possible for me to be here. That doesn't matter to him. As soon as he gets into this role, he, he goes in fearlessly with the convictions that he has and even ultimately challenges the sin of the leaders he sees around him. So in in town, what I want is for people in the same way, you know, we need to know what our own gifts are and use them. We need to see other people's gifts and encourage them to use them. And then all of us, whatever our role is, we need to step into new roles and we need to do so fearlessly. Whether that's leading a family group, whether that's leading worship, whether that's hosting house church, whether that's making sure you're in charge of the, the uh, D time, whatever it is, each of us has to find our role, has to find what our gifts are, how can we use it for the ministry, and then we've got to step into that role fearlessly. And as people come into the ministry, we encourage them to do that as well, that this in-town ministry becomes known as a place where this is where you come not to sit back, not to partake, not to simply enjoy. You are here to grow, to serve, to learn what it is that God wants you to do and to do that. I mean, that's, doesn't that sound inspiring as a, as, a, as a plan for our in-town ministry? I can't think of anything better than to help develop people, help develop one another so that we figure out what is the role that we're supposed to fill in God's church. So I want to end here. Um, turn over to Acts 13. I'm going to talk about one last aspect of Barnabas and his relationship with Paul. If someone could just read uh, Acts 13, one through three. Okay, so Barnabas brings Paul to Antioch, but ultimately what happens is that they're sent out from there. And, um, you know, if you read the rest of uh, chapter 13 and 14, what it describes is Paul's, you know, first missionary journeys and what happens in Barnabas is with them uh, for that time. And when you look at it, three of four of Paul's missionary journeys actually originated in Antioch. So I want to show, if we have the slide, I want to show you guys this. So this map traces Paul's first and second missionary journeys. So this is just two of them, not counting, you know, the third one. But look at what he was able to do. I mean, look how much just pure ground he covered. And it all starts out in Antioch. So when I think about Barnabas, I think about this incredible guy who's got so many gifts, whether it's the gift of generosity or encouragement whether it's the gift of prophesying or teaching or preaching or whatever it is, I think about what an incredible guy he is. But when I look at this and I see this, who's not to say that his greatest contribution to the kingdom was not just the fact that he saw that Paul had a gift and that he encouraged him to use it. Because of that, all this is able to happen. And maybe if not for Barnabas, Paul never becomes Paul. Maybe Paul stays in Tarsus. I mean, who knows? But because he saw that he had a gift and encouraged him to use it, all of this becomes possible. So tonight, I want to encourage us as we continue as a ministry to focus on our gifts and how we can use them, let's focus as well on looking for the gifts in everyone around us and encouraging them to use it to build this ministry as well. Amen? Thanks. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
uh, I want to read another passage that references Barnabas. And uh, it's Paul, and uh, he's talking about, um, you know, the, the work that he's doing and so on and so forth. And he says in verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Do we have the right to food and drink? Uh, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? This is A.D. 55. Um, you know, if you look at the, you know, Bible, history, and so on and so forth, Pentecost happened roughly A.D. 30. So Barnabas is one of the first converts. He gets baptized in A.D. 30. This is A.D. 55. This is 25 years on. So, you know, for the first, uh, you know, period of Barnabas' Christian life, you know, his big thing is he, he gives this, this land and he, you know, gives this money to the church. And then um, he goes and he finds Paul and he introduces, he, he inserts Paul into the ministry and vouches for him and brings him in. And then he, uh, he, he takes him from Tarsus. He realizes, I, I need help here. I, there's something, someone better than me to serve in this role. And he finds him, he searches for him, he finds him, he brings him to, to, uh, to Antioch and they preach together. And they go out in the ministry. And the interesting thing is, as you read throughout the book of Acts, it's all Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then somewhere it switches. And it becomes Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas. And then it just becomes Paul and Paul and Paul. And, you know, there are seasons in our Christian life. I don't know if, you know, if you've kind of begun to feel that as you work your way through your Christian life. But there's seasons. You know, there's the first season that's really fun and wonderful and you have no responsibilities and you're just happy that you're saved and you have all these new friends. And, you know, and then there's difficult times and then there's struggles and then there's, you know, geez, am I going to find a, a wife? Am I going to find a husband? And then, you know... And there's, there's ups and downs, and, you know, there's valleys, and there's, there's mountains, and so on. And there's times where you can serve, and there's other times where it's difficult to serve. You know, when you're single, man, you've got, you got nothing but time. You don't think you do, but you really, really, really do, okay? And then, you know, you get married, and it's wonderful. And there's things that you develop and mature in your character that you can only do in a married relationship. And that's wonderful, okay? And, and yet, you know, you have a little bit less time and you have to kind of choose how you're going to serve a little bit more prudently. and You kind of got to step along with your spouse, you know? And then you have a child. And it's like, oh boy. Wow. <laughs> you know? And it's wonderful. But you really have to be thinking like, okay, I got to really now 
think very judiciously about how I'm going to spend my time. Maybe I can't lead a family group like I used to when I was married and had no kids, you know. And then you have a second child. Amen. And, you know, I, I always thought like having a second child was like, well, it'll be you know, two times, you know, more work and so on and so forth. That second guy is a force multiplier. It, am I right? It's just, it's like, wow, I just really, I don't know why, but this is like four times more trouble. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It is wonderful. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It is. Especially because, you know, the two kids, they get to know each other and, you know, their relationship is just, it really is very wonderful. But the bottom line is, yeah, yeah, the bottom line is, bottom line is, um, you have to even be more judicious, you know, and you have to serve in different ways. You know, maybe you have people over for dinner more than you used to. Maybe you can't lead a family group, but you can get with somebody on the phone. You can have some people over. You can bring, you know, there's a lot of ways to serve. And, and, and like I was saying before, you develop tools in your toolbox that you never developed before because, I mean, when you have children, you get wise fast. I mean, you, you grow up. You just flat do, you know. And you become a much more mature and wise and valuable tool for God to use. And, um, and, and as Mary and I, you know, we, we've gone through many, many seasons in our life, and we're in a season now where, you know, I feel like we're, we kind of do a lot of patching and building. We don't really do one thing. We just kind of patch and build, patch and build, patch and build. We kind of help over here when we see things kind of, ooh, this is kind of getting out of hand or, you know, whatever. And, and then, you, you know, like Mary sees, like, you know what, we, we need a children's ministry. So she builds, you know. And we patch and we build and we patch and we build and we patch and we build. And it's wonderful. It's awesome. I don't know what we do. We just do stuff. We, do the thing that's, we just do the thing that's in front of us, really, at this season in our life. But there are going to be seasons in your Christian life that you are struggling. And you are really going to be tempted to draw back and to not serve and to really feel like, you know, I think it's time that I just kind of um, sat back and, and just kind of let other people serve and, and whatever. And it is really true, the, the, the scripture that I read in the beginning where it says, come enjoy you know, your master's happiness. There is, as you serve, I don't care if it's baking a cake or helping somebody move or babysitting or having people over for dinner leading, singing, or preaching, or whatever, there are blessings and blessings and blessings in every simple and sophisticated way that you and I serve. There just, there just is. And I know that. I know that because I've experienced that. Um, you know... Mary and I, as you know, we were in the ministry for a long time. Mary was in the ministry. She was in Brazil for years, and then she came back, and her and I got together and went to Africa, and we were in Africa, and we 
came back to the States and, and we served in Orlando, all over Orlando, all different areas of Orlando. Got to know the whole church. Then we went to Tampa and uh, that was awesome. And we went to South Florida, went to a lot of different places in South Florida. And we went to Tallahassee. We knew everybody in Florida. Everybody knew us, we knew everybody. Went to Tallahassee, we were there for about a year and we got fired. I mean, we didn't get laid off or redeployed or... We don't think you're cut out for the ministry. Twelve years. I'm talking about, you know, fire. And we were hurt. We are confused. I was mad. You know, we were scared. 40 years old. I got a child. I got another child on the way. I've been out of the business world 12 years. Yeah, here's my resume. I've been in the ministry. What do you do? You know? And uh, so they said, well, we don't think it's best for you to stay in Tallahassee. If you could return to Orlando, and, you know, they really need family group leaders and house church leaders. If you go there and really strengthen the church and so on and so forth, get a new start, whatever. So in about five days, we packed up our house, moved to Orlando, moved into an apartment. I think we moved in on like a Monday or Tuesday. And uh, so Wednesday came along, and, and it was uh, midweek. So all church midweek. And the church was like a 1,000 people. It was a big church. And we knew a lot of people because we had been there before and so on. The last place in the world I wanted to be, that one's in this church. How's it going? What's happened? What happened? What? You know, I, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to be home, unpack. We said, now, we'll go to church. We need to go to church. So we went to church, and we went into this big hotel. We walked through the lobby. We are looking for where to take Stephen for, you know, child care. And the very first person we ran into, this is a true story. This is God's story. The very first person we ran into was a single sister who had been in our ministry in Orlando years ago. And she walked up to us, and she said, oh, my gosh, it's the Knowles. I heard you guys fell away. I thought, I thought I couldn't feel worse than I did until that sister encouraged <laughs> And the thought that came into my head was, very, I'll never forget that. Everybody in Florida thinks Mary and I are fired. hadn't been fired a week. Everybody in Florida thinks we So, it was a tough couple months. I mean, you know, I had to find a job. I found a job as a sales guy, full commission, because nobody would pay me. So, we're struggling. Brothers and sisters were buying us groceries. groceries. We're, we're just, we can barely get out of bed. Anymore. We can barely breathe. 
It was, it was quiet. We're leading a house church. Okay. So we were there a couple of months, and brother comes out to me in the church. I knew in the ministry. And he was leading in the church, and he says, hey, we need a, um, an, uh, a worship ministry leader. And I said, what's that? He goes, you know, somebody to organize Sunday services and, like, organize the songs and, you know, plan everything out and coordinate it with the message and, you know, train up the singers and raise up new leaders singing and, you know, raise up groups and, you know, find new songs that we can sing and so on and so forth. I go, and I'm looking at him like, and I said to him, I said, brother, I said, I just got fired like 10 minutes ago, okay? I'm trying to rebuild my life. I, I just, you know, I'm leading the house church, okay? Happy to do it. Can I just pass on this? He said, God, you know, it's, no, it would be great. You know, you have all this experience in the ministry. I'm like, yeah, a lot of good that did me, right? You know? And he's like, yeah, you'd be perfect for it. He says, uh, and I said, I said, bro, there's a thousand people in this church. There's a thousand people in this church. I just got here. Surely there are people who could do this. No, no, you'd be perfect. No, you'd be great at it. You know, uh. And I said, I said, understand this. I don't know anything about music. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I, I could not know less about music. I really could not know less. I don't know a single note. I, I'm nothing. God, you don't need to know God, no. you just you just organize the songs and it's really more about scheduling and getting people together and organizing things and I was like well you know let's let me talk to Mary so I talked to Mary and she said Steve you just got fired you, you, you're trying to rebuild your life and I said I said that <laughs> and, and she said she said she said Steve there's like a thousand people in this church who could do it and I said I know. And she said, did you tell them that you don't know anything about? I said, yes, I told them that. And she's like, whatever, you know, we're, we're, we're like, we're both like, whatever. Okay, fine. So um, what I did was I, you know, had to do all this studying about, you know, Psalms and Asaph and all of Asaph's descendants and, you know, all through the book, the book of the, Chronicles and Kings and all the New Testament stuff, and I'm preparing these devotionals for Saturday, and, you know, these guys are telling me, oh, we're going to talk about sacrifice this week, so I'm looking through, you know, I'm looking up all these songs, and I'm learning them, and I've got to lead some of them, so I'm in, I'm in my house in front of a mirror, like, <laughs> sawing away, you know, trying to learn these songs, and, you know, the, uh, the third verse and the fourth verse, and, you know, because you can't look at your book when you're like, everybody you gotta know the songs you know so I'm, I'm practicing at home and I'm redoing his readings and, and I'm preparing devotions and Saturday you know we, we pray we have a devotional we sing for a couple of hours we learn a, a new song or two we get everything organized Sunday we get in there a couple hours early we practice you know then we do the service and then you know next week it's another theme and I'm working everything out and reading and preparing all these devotionals and Reading all these, and I'm reading these 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 books, these uh, the songbook songs, and they're phenomenal. They're just awesome. You read these things, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, he's referencing this passage and this passage from here, and this passage, and this is 
This is, oh my, this is unbelievable. It's really, you've got to read your songs. They're really, they're very, very, very deep and inspiring. They really are, you know. And I'm reading these, I'm making devotionals out of them, this and that and the other thing. And, um, and every once in a while, I'm in front of 1,500 people on Sundays and I'm singing, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm really, I just really, I'm doing it. I'm doing the very best I can, but it's, you know, I, I still don't know anything about music, seriously. And that went on for two years. So then John and Vivian came to our rescue. Thank you. Forever, thank you. And we got jobs in New York. And we moved to New York, and, you know, we served in many other ways in all the other churches we've been since then and so on and so forth. And nobody's ever discovered my latent gifts of song leadership since. <laughs> but, um, but fast forward about 10 years, and I was on vacation, and I was thinking about my life. I was thinking about all the things we've been through and our family and how Mary and I met and you know, our time in the kingdom, our time in the ministry. And I was thinking about when we got fired. And I started to get all those emotions, the anger, the confusion, the, the sense of failure. And, and I said, you know, it's been too long. I need to really deal with this because I, I got I to gotta surrender to this or crucify it or something, but... I had to come to some kind of peace. And so I journaled that week. That week, I just read and prayed and journaled. And Mary and I talked a whole bunch. And, and, um, and I realized, when we were in darkest cave, we were crushed. It was the worst couple of months of my life. And I realized when I looked back that God came and he said, let's just do this. Every day, I want you to read three songs. And I want you to study about worship and singing, and joy, and victory, and peace, and praise, and thanks. So I want you to focus on that. I want you to look through that songbook you got. To really study those songs. To really meditate on them. I mean, like, every verse. I want you to sing me. Yeah. Ministry. Education. Politics. Statistics. Church. No ICOC. No SCC. No. Just you and me. Praise. Worship. Let's let's just do that. 
then, I want you to get with your friends. I want you to share the stuff that you're seeing in Psalms. Just share these songs, these amazing songs that you're reading about. I want you to encourage them about how awesome all this is. And then, I want you to take your friends, and I want you to sing with your friends. I want you to sing for hours and hours and hours a week. And I just want you to do that. For like, couple of years. And that's what I did. And I realized that it really is true. I mean, did I help with the song ministry? I mean, it went fine. Nobody died. You know, was it the best? No. Was it the worst? No. It was fine. It was fine. But God came into that cave and he took me and he walked me out day after day, week after week, month after month until I was out. And when I was out, welcome to New York. And I just want to encourage you to really embrace every opportunity you possibly can to serve. It will change your life. It will change your heart. You will grow. You will be full of joy. You will glorify God. You will build His kingdom. Everything good will come when you're really putting your heart and soul into serving in any way any way that you can. Amen.